0: episode 546 of the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive just adam today have a delightful interview for you today I said today multiple times in a row that's awkward it's awkward uh syntax huh i have a delightful interview for you guys on this episode with sarah Kuhn, who is just a titanically wonderful writer who is super prolific uh Sarah has a brand new book coming out called From Little Tokyo with Love, which is just fabulous. And we get all into it. Uh, She also is a writer of countless books and comics about Asian-American superhero, superheroines and nerds in love. Um, She wrote a book called I Love You So Mochi, which I adored to the point that we talk a lot about Mochi in this conversation. Um, She has created her own superheroes as well as written stories about superheroes in existing canons and just all sorts of great stuff. And this was a really fun conversation. We had a blast talking about all, all things Sarah Kuhn, really. So I, I think you guys are going to very much enjoy it. And again, From Little Tokyo with Love is uh, delightful. And she just writes these characters that jump off the page in a way they feel so realistic and somewhat, you know, flawed and they're not perfect. And just great stuff. Uh, you're really, really going to like it. So I'm going to get to that in just one second. But before I do, I want to tell you guys about a, another wonderful podcast that uh, I am familiar with because I'm familiar and friendly with the people who, who run it that I just want to bring to your attention. Uh, it's called Your Teen Media. And Your Teen Media developed out of personal passion, but grew out of the universal need so the, it's two friends who host it, uh, Stephanie and Susan, and they saw that their own parenting concerns and fears resonated with most everyone they, they talked to. Uh, as they were wondering whether their teen struggles were normal or whether their parenting woes were typical, other parents were dealing with the same insecurities. Unfortunately, a lot of the books and magazines they had relied on when their children were younger didn't help as much with teenagers. And so your teen media was born. Um, these days, it's a leading source for parents seeking high-quality information and advice about raising teenagers. And in addition to online resources, every other week on your Teen with Sue and Steph, the podcast, Sue and Steph offers support and community with a dash of humor and wisdom to their audience. Uh, from interviews with experts and authors to discussions of trending topics and personal stories, their podcast is all about making parents of teens feel less alone and more confident about guiding their teens through adolescence. So if you want to find this particular podcast, you can find it uh, any way that you enjoy your podcast, whatever app that is, or online, or you can go to uh, evergreenpodcast.com slash your teen. They are one of our Evergreen Podcast friends. So yeah, I just wanted to give them a quick shout out at your Team media. It's really good stuff. Um, thank you for letting me talk a little bit about that. And now I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Sarah Kuhn on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. We always love kind of starting our conversations uh, with having the author introduce their latest book. So I I started the recording and I'll do an introduction after the fact, but
1: um,
0: do you want to give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to, from Little Tokyo with Love?
1: Sure. Um, This book is uh, about a very cranky half Japanese girl, um, much like myself who um, does not believe in fairy tales or happy endings or romance or anything like that. And then she gets swept into her own kind of modern fairy tale that takes her all through Los Angeles, um, particularly the neighborhood of little Tokyo, which is where she grew up and still lives and has a very deep connection to. And um, there's a lot of, you know, food and flirting and, just hopefully things that convey to people the magic of LA because it is probably my favorite place in the world and I really wanted people to to know a little more about it so yeah that's what it's about
0: yeah you said uh she's kind of like you are you saying that you also have uh an inner kaiju a little bit of inner <laughs> anger
1: yes i mean i think um you know it, it's been interesting kind of thinking about this book and um, you know, what kind of changed for me since I started it. But yes, I have always had what I characterize and what probably my mother would have characterized <laughs> as a very bad temper, as something that is so, you know, ferocious and fanged and just horrifying that, Um, I, like Rika, the main character sort of characterized it as a monster, you know, as an inner kaiju, just stomping, stomping everything in its sight. Um, And um, I think um, what I have kind of uh, realized or come to terms with since finishing the book or as I was finishing the book is that this is actually not... A bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times, especially for um, women of color, for Asian American women, uh, expressing a certain kind of emotion is not something that is encouraged. And in mm-hmm. fact, it is pretty discouraged. You know, I, I have a very vivid memory of my mother always telling me to calm down. And then she would mm-hmm. just kind of say that word, calm calm like, <laughs> trying to get me to sort of um, you know let go of it a little bit but I think uh, what both Rika and I needed to learn is that our anger is actually valuable it is sometimes mm-hmm. just a correct response to something to injustice or not being treated well or it is kind of like a protective shield and uh, I like her kind of had to learn to come to terms with that and, and how to really channel it. So hopefully it could be more of a superpower than mm-hmm. something that I maybe saw, you know, just burning me up from the inside.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> superpowers are something you're very, you know, adept at writing about. It's not, nothing you feel. <laughs> But it's interesting that you, you mentioned that about, you know, as, you know, Asian and Asian American, you know, writers and characters, and it's it's a thing that, like you said, I our you're kind of taught to be a certain way. And I know that you've written and spoken a lot about representation and you had a really great um, article a few years ago about like how, when so few examples of a thing exist, like the ones that exist really, really matter. And you kind of be pushed towards those examples. And I love exactly what you said. Like, I think it is important to have characters of all races and cultural backgrounds and sexual orientations display more than one emotion because the, the, you're, the characters in your book, they're not just simply an Asian American character. Like they are allowed to have feelings and things. And I think it's so important to, like you said, have a character who's maybe a little pissed <laughs> off all the time. Yes.
1: Yes. I mean, I think, um I think the article you're talking about was something I wrote for the toast uh, mm-hmm. back when I debuted in 2016. And um, it was something I was really grappling with at the time, which is this idea of rep sweats, which is a term <laughs> yeah. that my friends uh, Phil, Yu, Jenny Yang, and Joanna Lee um, kind of came up with. And they actually came up with it uh, when the show Fresh Off the Boat was about to come out, and they mm-hmm. or was about to come out. And I remember they said, like, you know, it's that feeling when you're so excited because you're getting something that you really have not seen before or maybe you just haven't seen it in a really long time and it seems like you know this um this sort of opportunity for this great representation and then you also immediately get that kind of sick feeling mm-hmm. because you don't know what it's going to be you don't know if it's it's going to be bad you you don't know if it's going to be harmful you just don't know and so I felt a lot of that from the creator side of You know, certainly as a a reader, a consumer of of much media, um, I know what it feels like to be really hungry for that, to really need that kind of representation, and then to maybe feel like you aren't quite getting it or whatever you're being given is, you know, maybe close, but it doesn't exactly feel like your experience. And so um, when my first book came out, Heroin Complex, which is an Asian-American superheroine book, it's part of a series, um, I had that feeling because a lot of people kept saying to me, this is what I've been waiting for mm-hmm. my whole life. And um, No pressure. For, yeah, for especially for a debut author, that's that's a lot. That's a lot to take on, especially when you have been in the position of the person saying that to you. And, you know, like my characters in all my books are not perfect. They are maybe not what you would call uh, role models, which is Mm -hmm. something that gets, you know, kind of put on work by marginalized authors. Like these characters have to be role models, they have to be aspirational, they have to be um, perfect in every sense so that we can sort of hold them up as these examples. And my characters, honestly, are very messy people (laughs) um Mm -hmm. you know they are not perfect they do have bad habits they do make a lot of wrong decisions um they are very flawed and what i eventually sort of came to was i think that's actually really important to show to show people being real to show characters that are three-dimensional and feel like real people and of course, that means not everyone is going to like them or is mm-hmm. going to think of them as, you know, this is my representation or whatever. But my hope is kind of um, that eventually there will just be so many, so many representations mm-hmm. for everyone, so many main characters for everyone, so many books for everyone that everyone can kind of find whatever their character is, whatever their specific favorite book is, all of that. And I certainly feel much more positive about that than I did probably back in 2016. (laughs) uh, There are a lot more now. Um, I think, you know, particularly in YA, I can Mm -hmm. make big long lists of amazing API creators who are also creating real messy characters yeah. um, that, you know, run the whole gamut of whatever kind of representation you might want.
0: That's so I'm, I'm glad that you kind of, that's the end of that answer. Cause I was, I was going to ask you if you feel a little bit less pressure with the characters that you create. I mean, obviously I know what you mean with the, you know, the heroin complex there's, you've written several books, of it now, but you're right. There are still, it the industry, you know, the entertainment industry and the literary industry is definitely getting better with representation, but there's still a long way to go. Yes. Um, but do you feel at least a little bit less pressure and <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit more comfortable yeah. not having like?
1: I, I do. I do. I mean, I think that um, I think that uh, that's also probably just part of being a debut. You know, feeling yeah. that pressure at like a much greater level. I I think one of the things that really helped me in that process and that I can see a little more clearly now is that the community really showed up for me. You know, the Asian American community really showed up for me, Um, particularly locally. We have such a wonderful, vibrant community of Asian American creatives who really you know band together and support each other's work and support each other's events and yeah. really make it a celebration so I think that I was able to feel like okay we're all in this together like mm-hmm. we're all kind of fighting for this together and I think that as the past few years have gone by I've felt that even more because I think um There is a great community in specifically books as well. Um, I mean, even when I debuted, I felt so um, welcomed in by Asian American women who had already been doing the work already. Mm -hmm. You know, people like um, O and Cindy Pon, uh, Naomi Hirahara, Courtney Milan, Melinda Lowe like all of these people like yeah. really like welcomed me into the community and, and kind of made me feel like I had a place there and it wasn't just an accident like someone didn't just like give me a book deal by mistake <laughs> um, so um, I think that uh, I, I do feel more positive about that I do feel like, you know, like you said, we still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the community and these kind of intersecting communities um, has been a big part of making me feel a little more confident (laughs) and a little more empowered to put these really messy, not perfect Asian American girls on the page.
0: Um, I'm I'm envisioning. There's a part very early on in the in the book where one of the characters references that. Uh, kind of Asian Hollywood has like a little text thread. I'm, I'm envisioning you guys have you guys have one of these.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of like kind of ways of group communications um, in the various Asian uh entertainment communities, including including Asian Hollywood. So just wanted you know, I wanted to celebrate that a little bit.
0: Oh, it was, I laughed so hard on that. I was like, oh my god! I immediately was like, wait, I bet famous people do have all sorts of these things, you
1: Yeah, I think the cast of Crazy Rich Asians said they had, like, their own WhatsApp thread or something, like, while they were making the movie, so, you know, I feel like all those communities, we all have our own, our own text threads, especially um, the past, you know, the past year or so.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely, so (laughs) uh, you're, so you're, you know, this book from Little Tokyo with Love and and I Love You So Mochi, which is adorable, and I love so, so much, you know, they are, they're, you know, young adult bent kind of really emotional rom-coms. They're funny. They're romantic. They're kind of a little bit coming of age, but you've also written superheroes, both ones that you've created yourself. And then also you, you write a lot of work in previously existing universal so universes like for Marvel mm-hmm. and, or DC rather. Um, what's the, for you, is there a difference between writing superheroes that you've kind of created from your own brain versus things that do previously exist? Does one feel more challenging than the other? It's something that I'm really curious about.
1: That's a great question. Um, I think they're kind of, I guess, complementary parts of a a larger whole. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I mean, I think that obviously I have so much fun writing my own heroines because that's kind of, you know, whatever I want to do, like mm-hmm. I can put them in the most ridiculous situations. Um, <laughs> in the the Heroin Complex series, that's kind of become a challenge. I mean, the very first book, the first fight scene is against these like demonic cupcakes. Yeah, and I Incredible. think every time I just thought, like, what can I do that's even more ridiculous than that? That's yeah. when to the like giant porcelain unicorns um <laughs> that are on the cover of the third book but um uh-huh. but yeah i mean i i'm all, in that series i'm always trying to like see kind of how outrageous i can be i'm also really trying to put a focus on um, their relationships, their personal lives, the way that they interact with each other. Right? It's its always important to me to show the friendships between these d- very different Asian American women who have kind of come together as mm-hmm. my own uh, superhero team. And also in those books, I'm usually exploring um, something that I have gone through or am going through. And sometimes I don't even realize that until the end. You know, I, mm-hmm. I remember with the first book, I, I wrote it, it came out and then um, a lot of the fan mail I got uh, was from people saying, uh, this is such a great, accurate portrayal of someone with an anxiety disorder. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> Pikachu face. Um, and, then, you know, when I when I started going to therapy, my therapist was like, yes, you have an anxiety disorder. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what I was writing about the whole time. OK, good to know. <laughs> Um, and so those, those books, I think, get very, very personal in that way. Um, and then uh, when I'm writing licensed, of course, I bring some of my experiences to that. But that is a character that already exists in a certain context um, that people already know a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so you still have to honor that you want to be true to that you want to kind of figure out what is it about this character that resonates with me? Like, what can I bring out of it? And so, you know, like with uh, Cassandra Kane, who I wrote for uh, Shadow of the Batgirl with the wonderful artist, Nicole Goo, um, a lot of that was kind of looking at her as a fan because I, I had been a fan of hers for so many years, but also trying to take a step back and just looking at her as a character, you know, mm-hmm. what about this character really resonates with me? What do I feel like? I can bring out what do I feel like maybe hasn't been told as much. Mm -hmm. Um, And with her, it was kind of all about, you know, when she has to make a choice. You know, I think a lot of times as, as young people, maybe as adults too, you know, we feel like we get trapped in situations. We don't maybe have a choice. We don't know that we can sort of make these choices about our own destiny. And so for her, I always thought it was really powerful that um, she is someone who has been raised without much choice. Her father has kind of kept her trapped and away from the rest of society. She doesn't know anything else. And she's also been raised to be a supervillain. You know, she has all these amazing assassin skills that mm-hmm. she's learned from her father. And so I always thought it was powerful that when she does have a choice, this person with all this training to be a supervillain decides to be a hero instead. Yeah, That is just <laughs> fascinating. Um, and I really wanted to explore that. So yeah, I think there are similarities in how I approach them, but also obviously differences. And hopefully they kind of add up to like a bigger picture of something.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I'm, I spend a lot of time thinking about superhero stories and, and larger than life stories. One, because I enjoy them myself as a person who, you know, Engages with a lot of content, but also just, I think exactly what you said. Like, it, it's not the f- we can't as human beings. Like, I can never relate to someone who has super abilities of any kind, but I can relate to making difficult decisions. And I do think that's what ties like it's like that's what connects us to all of these characters and all these shows and all these movies and all these books that. written about superheroes whether they're ones that we know or they're they're brand new ones is I do think what you do so well with your characters is you make them yes they're maybe they start out fighting you know monstrous cupcakes but the part where they have to be an actual human being like I think those are the things that tie us and connect us to a character and make us want to learn more about why they're doing these superheroic things I do think that you do always have to ground these characters right you have to make sure that they make sense as human beings as well. So that people have a reason to want to keep going with them.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, occasionally when there's sort of like, I don't know, maybe critique of, of superhero stories or, you know, the really mainstream superhero stories that we all know there, there's this sort of idea of like, Oh, they're so untouchable. Like that's not relatable. Like nothing about them is, is human, you know, literally. (laughs) And um I always thought that it, it's, it's really along the lines of what exactly what you're saying, that what makes us connect with, with superheroes is that humanity, is that mm-hmm. kind of like um, that just essential core thing, whatever it is that kind of makes them want to pursue this or makes them want to be a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the whole in Hero and Worship, which is the second book in the series, there's this whole conversation about the Superman myth and how Clark Kent kind of plays into it. And one character, Aveda, who's the very fabulous like diva superhero and is like, well, you know, it's. It, I feel like sometimes I'm Clark Kent and I don't want to be Clark Kent. I want to be Superman the whole Mm -hmm. time because Superman's really awesome and everybody likes him and he saves the world all the time Mm -hmm. and Clark Kent sucks. And um, (laughs) Evie who is the more perhaps down to earth superhero of the duo Mm -hmm. is like you, completely do not understand this mythology <laughs> like the reason the reason that that superman is so powerful is because of Clark Kent because of this this alter ego who has these very deep relationships in his life you mm-hmm. know his parent his adoptive parents lois lane like all of these things that tie him to humanity and tie him to earth and sort of make him realize what the the greater purpose of this world saving mission is mm-hmm. you know you're protecting the people and the things that you love um and so i think like for me that was sort of me like talking to myself and mm-hmm. kind of figuring out like what is it about these stories that that resonates to me
0: well and even to bring it back to from little tokyo with love like it's not superheroes but there are there's a and i'm not gonna give anything away but there's <laughs> a very specific celebrity in this particular book that at the beginning of it, like we meet this character and you're like, oh, they're famous. And we learn why they're famous. But you don't really connect with them until later on in the book because I mean it's a key aspect of the book. I'm not again not going to give anything away because <laughs> there's a part where we're like relatively early on in the book where you're like, holy shit, that's amazing. But <laughs> I, I mean it, you don't really start to connect with the fact that like you can't understand what it's like to be um ultra famous movie star but then you learn about the decisions that she had to make and those are the decisions that we can relate to as a reader so it's not even just superheroes you know it's it's really all walks of life where humanizing people by showing the decisions they make is such an essential part of it
1: oh yeah no, that's that's a great point I love how you said that I mean I think that um like it's funny I was I was having um a conversation um, on Instagram Live. This is not a private conversation, but yeah. it was for an event. But with uh, Maureen Gu, who you know is also a YA novelist, mm-hmm. who's also writing superheroes with uh, Silk for Marvel, and um, we were kind of talking about like what we bring back and forth between contemporary writing and uh, superhero, like more fantastical writing, like what we kind, like how we kind of bridge those two. And I was saying that. Um, in my contemporaries like little tokyo i still think of the characters as superheroes i almost Mm -hmm. think of them as having like a trading card where you can Mm -hmm. see like this is this person's power like this is their costume that these are maybe their flaws like here's what they're really good at here's some like you know likes and dislikes like whatever like you know with rika like we talked about i always thought you know, her, her sort of superpower that would be on the card is like her temper, which can also be, can also be her downfall, but, you know, used correctly, it is, it is her superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she has like kind of this uh, iconic t-shirt that she wears <laughs> yeah. the whole book. Like So that's like her, her superhero costume that mm-hmm. everybody knows. Um, And so, yeah, I I think um, I do think of things a lot that way, because I do love to write things that feel a little bit larger than life, that feel, you know, a little bit epic, at least in my head. Mm -hmm. And um, with this one, I mean, um, the element that you are uh, referring to, which there has been a lot of discussion with, uh, like me and my editor, Jenny Bach, about like, how much of this do we like give away, you know, in in things like that because it's kind of a surprise, but it's also pretty early. Um, But yeah, like one of the things I was thinking about was this kind of larger than life idea where um, I think it was right around the time that Crazy Rich Asians had come out. It had done, you know, really well at the box office. It had kind of really put this movie into the collective consciousness. And even as someone who has written um, things that center Asian American girls, that is, I'm always, as you said, talking about representation, talking about the importance of it, mm-hmm. talking about all these projects I love, et cetera. Um, even me, who I, I think of as you know, fairly jaded in this, in this area, The first time I saw that movie, I was so blown away. I was just kind of like, wow, I grew up, you know loving rom-coms and Mm -hmm. and sort of heightened like fabulous movies like Mm -hmm. this. And I still feel like, just like, I can't believe that I'm seeing it. You know, I can't believe Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing this woman um, centered in a movie like this, in this way. Like it was so mind-blowing. And so that led me down this rabbit hole of what if I had grown up with that? Mm -hmm. Like what, you know, what would the effects be? How would I be different? What would the effects on sort of the greater society and, you know, the greater Asian American community be? And so um, creating this character who, you know, you mentioned is a um, Asian American movie star. Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, what if, you know, there was this person who was basically like, The Asian American Meg Ryan, like, you know, she, or like Constance Wu, she starred in like a whole string of kind of crazy rich Asians type movies Mm -hmm. and became this like big rom com queen. Like, what if Asian Hollywood had been actually spotlighted maybe a little bit before this, you know, what would that have been like? And so, even though it's maybe not the main, you know, the main story in the book, um, I just thought like, if there was this kind of Asian American rom-com queen that we'd actually seen get this happily ever after over (laughs) and over and over again, that would probably affect a lot of younger Asian American girls and it would affect them in different ways and it would affect them in very interesting ways. Um, So that I guess was like definitely a heightened larger than life element kind of along the line of superheroes Mm because there is like a secret identity and a kind of a dual identity and things like that. Um, And like you were saying the connection to then humanity and talking about what this person has actually been through in life uh, that I certainly wanted to explore.
0: So. I, it should come as no surprise to people listening that you have a journalistic background because just hearing you, how you kind of walk through that in your own head and how you would like sort of lay out that story feels very much to me, like the way that a journalist would do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like lay it so out. so funny because I haven't, okay, so I, I don't think I've been a journalist in like 10 years, but I still sometimes have those instincts. Like when people are, are like, say something to me, I'm like, oh, hold on. Let me fact check that. Like, I do I, have, yeah. I don't believe you. <laughs> like, let me, like, what's your source? Like, do you have, multiple sources um but I always like feel weird being I still feel weird being on like the other side of the the interview mm-hmm. like I get I and I feel very self-conscious sometimes about like oh my god am I like the person that I used to hate where like <laughs> they ask me one question and then I don't answer it and then I, I say like three different like random tangents and then like they're like oh sorry time's up we only asked we only had time to ask you one question <laughs> Um, so, um, no,
0: you' so you're in a safe space here. Our, tangents is basically. like the, the podcast should just be called tangents. Like, that's, <laughs> that's where we go with. But like, I don't know, it's interesting to me hearing how you, like the thought process you had going through like how to create characters for yeah. little, little Tokyo. like but I'm I am interested if having that background, even though you you said you haven't been a journalist for like 10 years, do you think it affects the way that you create stories or even like drafts? Like, if you're going through, I'm envisioning you having like a big board where you're like triaging facts <laughs> into, you're like, but obviously it's such a different structure of writing. But do you think the way that you came from a journalistic background has any effect on your writing, even just like the sheer breadth of different <laughs> pro- projects you work on, maybe? Or like, is there anything you think that it ties into that?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think it comes out in a few different ways. I mean, I think that also some of my kind of learning how to write fiction was also figuring out how to separate a little bit from the the kind of sort of reporting and writing and, you know, hitting certain deadlines and writing to word count and all of that mm-hmm. is helpful, but is also, I think, something I had to just separate myself from a little bit because I had been so kind of in that structure for so long Mm -hmm. um it didn't always apply to fiction you know sometimes I had to let my uh, my emotions guide me a little more in the in the fiction area but um definitely like there were kind of two things I thought about when you were asking me that one is that um I think something that comes into play more in fantasy is that sort of um kind of trying to structure like a magic system or uh, ways that powers work or in the heroine books, there's always like kind of a light supernatural mystery and I always Mm -hmm. have to make it make sense. And so sometimes I think that, you know, the thoroughness in journalism that you have to go through just to like make Mm -hmm. sure a story is complete, make sure you've answered every question, make sure all the tangents have sort of been followed through on, make sure that you tie it up really, you know, all of those things. I think um, the thoroughness maybe helps a little bit with developing like things like magic systems. Although I will say that is still one thing I probably dislike the most about writing fantasy because it, it always feels, in, in the end, it always feels just a little bit like math. Like I'm yeah. like, oh my God, like, I don't even know. I don't even know how this works at this point. And I came up with it. <laughs> um, and then I think the other thing kind of actually goes back to what we were talking about uh, with character, with kind of finding whatever the humanity or the specialness is in a character mm-hmm. Because um, one of my last full time uh, reporter jobs was at the magazine Backstage, which is an actor's trade magazine. And mm-hmm. so I wrote a lot of very in depth profiles of different actors. And I felt like a lot of that was like, you know, you can read about these folks so many different places, you know, so much about their lives. Like now with social media, you know, even more about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I was always trying to find like some element of who is this person at the core? What is something that maybe we don't know about them? What is something that is surprising? How do they approach their craft? Since it was, you know, an actor's magazine, a lot of it was about how they how they did that. And so I always thought it was really interesting to sort of talk to this person for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and then. Mm go through the transcript and and really dig out like what were they what were they actually telling me like yeah, from right. the heart what were they telling me what is the the sort of core of this person that I want to convey in this profile and so sometimes I, I think I still think of characters like that except in this case the interview is just me talking to people that only exist in it's
0: my <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I think that's that's such a like, an awesome point that you just made because I thinking about it from really any person with a platform like a huge profile, whether it's an actor or uh, an athlete or you know whoever it is, I I don't care about what makes them great at their sport. I just don't like I can read a a thousand articles. Like I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I live in Northeast Ohio. We grew up with, I'm the same age as LeBron James. So like LeBron Mm -hmm. James has kind of always been in my life. I've been hearing about this guy, LeBron James, since literally we were both 16 years old. (laughs) I don't need to see any more stories about LeBron James being good at basketball. I am very aware he's good at basketball, but it's, but it's like when he opened up some schools here in Northeast Ohio, and then they tell stories stories about all the kids who go through his schools and are getting like college scholarships like that's an interesting character trait about LeBron James that yes read tell me a story about that so exactly what you said like I think there are there's a reason that people love reading you know profiles of famous people whether it's on you know Bustle or GQ or Time or whatever it is And the same thing, it extends into, you know, books like yours, because if you can drill down into things that make these seemingly, seemingly otherwise, like, unapproachable humans or characters approachable, like, that's the good stuff. So I do do definitely see that being a journalistic. This means this is a long form way of me saying I agree with you, which is not (laughs) very good. (laughs) Uh But, um, okay, so there's, I have a few other random questions that I, okay. I have to ask One, I actually tweeted this and I think you, I think you saw it I, I can't stop <laughs> that because I re I reread I love you so mochi recently just because I love it so much and then you also mentioned some mochi related things in little Tokyo yes. not as much if that's my <laughs> if I've got one critique about your new book <laughs> not enough mochi you, so I, unfortunately, we can't get, I can't get, like, great mochi here in mm. Cleveland, unfortunately. We have a lot of great food that just isn't that prevalent. But do you have, like, a person in your family who makes mochi? Like, is, is there a reason that mochi keeps popping up in your in your stories <laughs> and makes me crave it so much?
1: Um, I mean, it is one of my favorite things in the world um i think um you know it, as far as i love you so mochi it, it's like a not as interesting answer um my uh, editor of that book jeffrey west actually came up with that title uh before there was a book but then i was like oh i guess like i need to
0: yeah, write this include, now
1: include a lot of mochi that that just seems essential um, but yeah i mean i love it i um have a couple friends who do a uh new year's celebration where Mm. they just get like tons of people together and they have like a whole mochi making day Mm. um and you can see like all the different steps you know there's the the people like like getting the rice ready there's the people catching it as it flies out of the machine there's Mm -hmm. people putting you know rolling it into balls and actually um the, the scene in uh, Little Tokyo where there is like the mochi demonstration mm-hmm. and it's like the, um, the print, the, you know, some of it revolves around this festival, which is a fictionalized version of a real festival that happens in Little Tokyo. Um, but there is a scene where um, the, the princess is in the court of the festival because that's something that happens in the real festival as well. Um, are doing this uh, mochi making demo and the aunties are all kind of judging them and you know like talking about their technique and stuff and so um, I do remember um, uh, one of like at one of those gatherings I was sort of learning how to um, roll the you know roll it into balls Mm -hmm. and put the red bean paste inside and like how to do it. And there was a lot of like, you know, it's too big, like there's so <laughs> the bumpy, like it's not, and I was very self like I was, you know, even more self-conscious than doing like, I don't know, like a book event or like a speech or something in front of like a huge crowd, like being in front of like 10 aunties who are like watching yeah. you like try to make this ball um, and make it perfectly, (laughs) Uh, it's very nerve wracking. So um, it definitely included a lot of my experience with that. Um, And just the, you know, the, the wonderful sort of celebration and community that comes out of something like that. Um, And then there is a very famous uh, legendary mochi shop in little Tokyo called Pugetsudo. Mm -hmm. And it's been around forever. And it always has lines at the door. They always make a bunch for New Year's as well. Um, And they've, I guess, uh, actually had really good business um during the pandemic which is is great because that's awesome. you know certainly not the case for all small businesses yeah. but yeah um uh, mochi is very important <laughs> in my life so i <laughs> know, it's probably going to be in a lot of the books i
0: write uh, okay well now at least i know that moving forward too that i can always <laughs> expect to have it in um i also saw that you're writing kind of a short piece for an upcoming book um on Keiko again is that right yes Yes. okay so we actually uh Keiko was on our show I think like a couple years ago at this point Mm because they had a a workbook that came out
1: yes
0: um that was just amazing it was called no mistakes
1: yes and
0: it was beautiful and it had like all these artistic exercises and stuff what is your piece going to be about I'm just I got really excited when I saw that yeah so
1: it is in a DC anthology called Um, I think the title is Wonderful Women of History, Mm -hmm. and um, it's an anthology, it's basically a bunch of short comics um, spotlighting different amazing women throughout history who have inspired us or, um, you know, were just significant in some way. And um, so, you know, I had done uh, the Batgirl book for DC and uh, one of the editors was like, oh, we're doing this anthology, like, here's what it is. Um, Could you maybe, we would love to have you do something. Can you pitch us like maybe a couple of, you know, prominent prominent figures you would like to write about. And they also also wanted it to maybe have some kind of personal connection. Mm. And so Keiko and I are friends, Uh, full disclosure, I (laughs) actually blurb no mistakes. I love that book so Mm -hmm. much. And I think it's, it's just, it's helped me so much. Like from a creative standpoint and just from like an emotional standpoint, yeah. like it feels kind of like talking to Keiko because it's so like kind and like mm-hmm. gentle really and like encouraging of your creativity yeah. and your specialness. And I mean, I, it's
0: literally called No Mistakes. No yeah, mistakes. Exactly.
1: And you know, I love that. Um, and so I said, you know, um, I pitched a couple of people and I was like, you know, I do feel like I have kind of this personal connection to. Keiko, not just because we're friends, but because, um, you know, Lane Kim was certainly one of the first like Asian American girls I saw featured really prominently in a show. Mm -hmm. And I was also an Asian American girl who had grown up in a really small town. Um, a really white town. And so there was a lot about her that I really connected to. Um, And then years later, when I was lucky enough to meet Keiko uh, through some mutual friends, I remember I was like, just play cool, don't like, (laughs) reveal, like. Um, But what I had kind of blacked out of my mind, which is part of what the story kind of explores, is that I actually had met her at um, the awards ceremony for Cape Coalition of Asians and Pacifics in Entertainment, um, I had uh, won an award with them, and I remember going to that ceremony. And I looked up into the the rafters, and I was like, "I think that's I think that's Keiko Agena. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's her at the ceremony." And then um, afterwards, I like ran up the stairs, and I was like, "Can I take a picture with you?" And um, <laughs> she did it. And then like I just ran away from her, like I was so. <laughs> I was so overcome like I was like I can't even deal with this moment so I'm just gonna run away and um I didn't like when we met for real I actually didn't tell her that until we had known each other for a really long time oh, that's amazing um so the story is just it's uh with the a wonderful artist named Lynn Yoshi and it's just kind of about how um seeing her was important to me and then seeing like meeting her in real life was important and then you know, kind of what I, I sort of realized was that she was this person for a lot of Asian American women, you know, mm-hmm. she was Roy Gilmore's best friend, but she was also kind of Asian America's best friend. Like yeah. she was like every age, you know, a lot of Asian American girls were like, either I, I am her or I want to be friends with her or I, you know, I have a friend like this in real life or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it's a little tribute to to Keiko and um, it's amidst many tributes to many awesome women (sighs) throughout history.
0: I love that so much. Um, (laughs) So towards the, at the end of our podcast, we asked nine very lighthearted questions. Not that anything else I asked you was super heavy, Um, (laughs) but we call them the nerd nine just because we like alliteration (laughs) around here. Um, So the first one is, what's the last book you finished reading?
1: Oh my gosh, okay hold on because, um, since becoming an author, I have become more prepared for this question. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say two, because I was just like reading these kind of at the same time. One is, um, arsenic and adobo by mm-hmm. me monansala And it is, um, a cozy mystery about a young Filipino woman who is, uh, let's see, trying to solve a murder Mm -hmm. at um, her, like, auntie's, like, amazing restaurant, and it's just delightful, and there's so much food in it, and I was starving afterwards, and I had to order, um, (laughs) I had to order, like, Filipino food immediately, so that one is wonderful. That comes out, I think, uh, early May, and then the other one was um, The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan, which Mm -hmm. is a historical romance starring Asian characters and it's just it is so wonderful it's like a hug it's just lovely (laughs) like the characters are so good she's just so good like she's one of those authors I read and I'm just like I don't know how you do that like I don't know how (laughs) you're so amazing every time but it's like just wonderful historical romance that I think everyone should read Uh
0: uh-huh perfect uh next one what's your favorite place to read
1: um (laughs) well you know the the past year I think I've been a little limited in that that's
0: fair um
1: you know I would I I would like to imagine a time where I can like read next to a glamorous swimming pool again that (laughs) would be really nice I have not gotten to do that in a while so I'll I'll be a little aspirational and say that
0: soon it's so soon um (laughs) do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading when you were younger?
1: I think it was probably, um, Beverly Cleary's Ramona mm-hmm. books. Um, cause I, you know, I was reading before that, but I think those were my first, uh, chapter books, like books that had illustrations, but not, you know, not pictures maybe, mm-hmm. um, on every page. And, um, you know, I, I just loved that she was kind of unruly, like that yeah. character was kind of unruly, maybe that's what started my kind of love of messy, <laughs> imperfect characters. But yeah, definitely, those were my probably yeah. my first loves. I can see that.
0: Um, okay, this one is a little aspirational, especially over the last year, but we're getting closer. So when we're allowed to travel again, what is one place that you would like to go to that you have not yet visited?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of my uh, travel longing this year uh, has been for places that I've already been to, you know, that I mm-hmm. that I miss so much. So um, I'm trying to think if there's somewhere I haven't been yet that I, I'm sure there is. I mean, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, to being able to um, travel overseas, like get to visit different countries mm. again. I feel like I haven't been able to do that in a very long time. Um, so yeah, I'm yeah. not sure exactly which which country, but definitely I'm, I'm looking forward to the world feeling a little bigger again.
0: Yeah, somebody, I don't remember who it was, but they're like, at this point I would happily take one of those extremely stuffy conference halls. <laughs> To embrace any tra-
1: yes, any travel we're, whatsoever, we're and I was like, "Yeah, like, I understand." We're like, "Yeah, take us back to the the Davits. Um, give us I, all did, the to- I, give us all the tote bags." I was just give gonna all- say,
0: "Give me book con where I feel like I'm eating a garbage salad, and <laughs> yeah. I'm crammed with twenty eight thousand people. Give that to me right now."
1: I will only feel human when I have eaten a twenty dollar hot dog. And gotten angry because the line for the bathroom is so long. Then I will feel like we're we're back.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And just randomly you run into Victoria Schwab wearing her cat ears. Like that just like one of those things. Exactly. I
1: I need those experiences in my life again.
0: Yeah. Uh, Do you have a favorite holiday to
1: celebrate? Oh, hmm. Um, let's see. favorite holiday. You know, actually, kind of along the line, along the same lines. But so funny is the first thing that popped into my head was Comic Con. Yeah, that <laughs> works. Like, like San Diego Comic Con, that was like the big nerd fest, holiday slash prom slash, you know, like giant gathering slash concert slash everything. Like I feel like that was like sort of the always the 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 summit, uh, if Mm -hmm. you will, of of my nerd year. And um, (laughs) even though I did participate virtually last year, you know, it wasn't the same. Same thing with the, you know, the $20 hot dog and all that, all of that, so. (laughs)
0: Um, Are you a coffee person or a tea person?
1: Um, You know, I'm actually neither. Um, I am one of the only writers I know who never quite got on the coffee train. And sometimes I feel like I'm kind of missing out because it feels like people get so much enjoyment from their coffee. Um, But yeah, I'm actually neither. I I drink, you know, soda, water, like other things. Um, But yeah, I'm not really into coffee or tea. You
0: know what? That's your, that's okay. That's one 20 minute line you don't have to wait in at the Javik Center. So you're good there.
1: I can go just go get my my $20 hot dog and be satisfied.
0: Yeah. Uh, How about cats or dogs?
1: Oh, I would say dogs. I mean, you know, there is a, there is a dog in little Tokyo. Mm -hmm. um, And there was also, there's a dog in the heroin series too, who is actually based on a real dog. He was the bookstore dog at the Ripped Bodice, which is the romance bookstore in Mm -hmm. Culver city. And is kind of my home base for all my LA events and stuff. Um, And um, we actually, Put him on the the cover of that book, which still mm-hmm. delights me to no end. It's like his little superhero persona. Um, so yeah, I think I would I would have to say dogs. Yes.
0: Do you have a favorite food?
1: Um, you know, it probably changes depending on the day, but I certainly love uh, katsu, which is yeah, that's favorite, that's fair. Very prominent book, quite prominently in, in Little Tokyo. You know, I, I have had a lot of people message me and ask me. If katsu that, which is the the aunties in the book, that's their katsu restaurant where they katsu everything. Um, mm-hmm. I have had a lot of people ask me if that's a real restaurant, and I'm sorry to say it's not. But um, I don't know, maybe someday, maybe that'll be like my my next, um, you know, my next career is opening a katsu restaurant. Um, so yeah, I guess I for you know that was probably the first thing that came to mind.
0: Um, okay, last one of these. If you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick?
1: Oh my God. I know. I'm sorry. I, I
0: this, I've i never, we've been doing this podcast five years and I literally have never prepped anyone on that question and no one has ever been happy when I'm
1: but, I mean, it's funny because, you know, I like, I don't think it's, it's mysterious that we're recording this while it is still. Yeah. a pandemic, even though we, we are like more people are getting vaccinated, like there feels like there's some hope on the horizon. Uh, maybe we'll be able to go outside soon. Um, but um, right now I'm like, oh my god, dinner with someone that sounds amazing. Like I will literally take anyone, I don't even care who it anyone. is. Um, but I guess the, the, the actual answer to that. Um, and you know, it's it maybe a little bit of a sad answer is my mom. Um, You know, my my mom passed away uh, right when I graduated from college and I have written, I think, uh, quite a few books that are very focused on relationships between mothers and daughters. Uh, You know, both Mm -hmm. this book and Mochi were sort of very focused on that relationship, how it's important, how it's, I think, especially important to Asian American girls. I mean, especially as someone who is biracial, um, you know, my mom was Japanese American, and I feel like she always made sure I was very proud of that, that I was very connected Mm -hmm. to my identity, that even though I was growing up in this really small really white town, I still knew about myself. You know, I still knew like sort of the deeper elements of that. She was the first person who talked to me about the incarceration. Like she was the Mm -hmm. first person who talked to me about like, Oh, actually interracial marriage was illegal. Not that long ago. Like she was really the person who talked to me about all of that. And, you know, I, I wish I could show her, especially this book. So Mm -hmm. I think if I had to choose anyone literally anyone i would love to be able to have dinner with her that's
0: perfect okay last question for you sarah what do you hope readers take away from little tokyo
1: um (laughs) you know it might depend on who the reader is but (laughs) i think i think what i really want people to take away but especially girls especially young girls of color especially asian american girls especially mixed race girls is that you are all worthy of a happy ending. You know, it it is not something, even if you have not seen it very much, even if it is not shown to you in the stories you are consuming, you deserve that. Um, It's not something that you have to, you know, like do a bunch of things to earn. It's not, you know, Mm -hmm. you are worthy of that always. And so I think, especially for girls who have not seen themselves very much in these kind of stories in, fairy tales and rom-coms and um, you know these kind of larger than life romantic cinematic epics like even if you have not seen yourself very much in those stories you you are worthy of a happy ending and it is possible for you and you know I think the girl in this book she feels like she's so angry she's so cynical she's so Damage. She's so, she, she's such an outcast. She stands out so much in her community for all the wrong reasons. She feels like nothing about this sort of happily ever, happily ever after life can be true. Um, she finally figures out that it is and that, you know, it might not look like the fairy tale endings we see in stories, but she has been able to make it hers. So I want I want young girls to know that they can have that too, and that they can make it theirs.
0: Absolutely perfect. Sarah, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much. That was fun.